All right. Welcome back, KBLA. This is Angelique Francis, and you are listening to Living in the Sweet Spot. We define the sweet spot as the intersection between power, divine timing, and performance, all to accomplish a purpose. And yes, I do bring you these amazing overcomers, and we share conversations with you. We talk about miracles and kairos moments, and sometimes we just talk about the intersection of how to improve your life, like, you know, intention and purpose and faith. And we just talk about it all right here in the sweet spot. And today's no different. I'm excited. Kamal, I brought somebody for you, Kamal. You brought somebody for me, a special <laughs> guest. What's her name? <laughs> Look, what's her name? Well, her name is Dr. <laughs> Erica Holmes. <laughs> Well, and the reason I'm teasing you is because we did have Dr. Erica on before. She wrote a book called Dating with Purpose, Escaping a No Man's Land, right? That's right. Remember that? Yeah, (laughs) I I definitely remember. Yes, and I saw you feverishly taking notes in your black book. (laughs) Oh, right, right. Sorry, sorry. That's between us. So, um, so she's back today. She's got another book, but I, we've been gathering questions um, from some of our uh, friends, our single friends in particular, and uh, newly engaged friends. And we wanted to bring some of those questions to Dr. Erica and just sort of talk about where we are. And you're single. I'm single. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it's ask an expert. It feels like it's ask an expert. <laughs> exactly. Because it feels like. Even with my experience, I still feel like a novice. Yeah, well, you because you, know, you I, just I a say, baby. <laughs> I'm maybe I am, you right. just a baby. Yeah. Oh, all good. So, all right. Well, let me tell you about Dr. Erica. For those of you who have not been familiar with her and have not heard her on my show, and she's actually a favorite at KBLA. So you might have heard her on another show, but she's on my show today. Dr. Erica is a licensed clinical psychologist, educator, author, speaker, and consultant who values knowledge, authenticity, and empowerment. She has done so many things. She is, uh, I know, one of our very own right here at KBLA, studied with her. She's um, well-respected. She does a lot. She's a mother. She's a wife. And we're going to hear more about her. Welcome to the Sweet Spot, Dr. Erica. Thank you so much, Angelique, for having me again. You know, I love it here. I love, I love being, I love being on and having these conversations. I'm so excited to hear from Kamal. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so I'm just really happy to be here. So thanks for having me again. Uh, always, you bring so much wealth of knowledge when you come, and you know, very in a very practical, useful way. And we appreciate you. And I think that um, I love to have people, therapists on in particular, on this channel, on this uh, platform, to demystify some of the, um, you know, what therapy is and what it isn't and all of that. So I'm really intentional about that. I definitely think that it helps to help move away those clouds that especially our people seem to have when it comes to examining going to therapy. This show definitely helps in doing that. And especially when we speak with someone like Dr. Holmes. Okay. Yeah. I I mean, Dr. Holmes, I have a couple of really good friends that I've also brought on. I want to get all three of you on one day. (laughs) Just, just, I'm just going to turn the mic over to y'all. Y'all can talk about anything you want. How about that? (laughs) I love it. I love it. Would love to. (laughs) So uh, tell me about this new book and um, what the title is and why you wrote the new book. Tell us about the first book and then the second book. Okay, so two books thus far, 
a couple more coming out, but I'll talk about those when those come out. Um, and so the first book, which was published in 2019, was Dating with Purpose, A Single Woman's Guide to Escaping No Man's Land. And it's actually a workbook for women to help them to kind of explore their inner selves, their inner ideas, thoughts, and wants, and also behaviors that they take into relationships. So the premise is really getting in touch with yourself and knowing yourself before you can invite someone else in. Um, and so uh, that book has done very, very well. And, and, you know, there are a lot of reviews on Amazon and people love it. And I'm so excited that it was, it was really um, embraced in that way. Was it for women? And so, you said for women in particular? Yeah. Okay. It's a single woman's okay. guide. Yeah. So it's for women. Now I will say this. I've had many men who have picked up the book and have, have used it and said, you know, it was really good information. And a couple said, yeah, I just picked it up because I want to see what women are finding out. Exactly. What women are like, right? And then they discovered because it's psychological theory and tools made for the everyday person that all they have to do is change the gender pronoun. And it what the the exercises in there can really work for anyone and the information is uh goes across genders okay and then the um, second book so, the new book is called what so the second book actually published on my birthday which is january 4th this year happy birthday so, um <laughs> thank you uh so uh that book was co-authored by myself and two other psychologists it's also a workbook i love workbooks you got to do the work yeah. uh and so that book is called before the Broom, a premarital workbook for dating, engaged, and newly married African-American couples. And so you go through dating with purpose, you find the person who is your purpose, and now what do you do? So Before the Broom is a premarital curriculum designed specifically with the African-American experience in mind. So what is different, right, with our love? and okay. how we connect. And oh, so, my yeah. goodness. So we have so much to talk about. We're with Dr. Erica Holmes, and this is all in the sweet spot. If you're just joining us, we have Dr. Erica Holmes, and we are talking about dating with purpose and preparation for relationships and all kind of good stuff right here in the sweet spot. And I am so honored to have my other guest, who is Kamal. Kamal is usually our engineer, but I bring him in the sweet spot sometime because he got a lot to talk about. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So, Dr. Erica, before we go too far into asking you a, a ton of questions, tell me a little bit about your background, why you do what you do, and what you're passionate about, what groups you're passionate most about helping. So, um, uh, as you mentioned, I'm a licensed psychologist. I've been working uh, in the field of mental health for about 24 years now. Uh, and I, within that, I do a lot of different things. Again, you've mentioned it before. I've been in academia teaching for over 20 years. I direct a counseling center at one of the largest churches in Inglewood uh, and overseeing therapy services. And I do my own consulting as well. And really, when I think about over the length of my career, I've worked with all kinds of people with all kinds of challenges. But I really love, as you can tell, working with couples uh, in relationships at this point in my career. I also uh, have an expertise in psychological trauma and how trauma impacts us and um, 
physiologically, psychologically, emotionally. And I also am interested in the integration of Christianity and psychology as well. So how does mm-hmm. our faith and our belief in God impact the way that we and the way that we move? Wow, that's like a whole um, show by itself. Right. Yes, very much so. Very much so. So I just love what I do. I love helping people. And and really, my whole purpose is to share knowledge that I've gained because I've gone to school. I don't know. Had I not gone to school and 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 in my generation, would I have had access to this information? And it's changed my life. It's been transformative for me. And so I just really want to share it with folks who might not even see themselves as needing psychological information or mental health help to grow. Right. And so I just want to make whatever information I can available. Well, let's talk about what you brought up. Let's talk about faith and mental health mm-hmm. because, you know, we come from our, this community and I, um, you don't know my background, but my grandfather was a pastor of many church, you know, of huge churches in the South. And then my godmother is a, a very friendly with your pastor. <laughs> And so, um, you know, I come from a mega churches and mega background and all that. And it's been interesting because I just, I was just a guest on a show and we were talking about LGBTQ rights. And so it has been an interesting conflict. And I don't see mm-hmm. that it should be a conflict because we're talking about human rights. We're talking about humanity. I don't really see the conflict, but in terms of mental health and people standing on their faith and God will make a way and, you know, uh, you know, don't confess that you're sad. Don't confess that you're depressed. All these things were things I grew up learning. You know, you just, you just don't say it. So how does, Mm -hmm. how are you battling that within our community? Well, really, I mean, if we're talking about, you know, Christians and them using their faith, um, really helping them to explore the whole Bible. Because if you look at the whole Bible, some of God's favorites expressed uh, wanting to die, feeling depressed, cursing the day that they walked on this earth, you know, ripping their clothes because of grief. Um, So all of that is in the Bible and them crying out to, 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 to God in great sorrow. If we and, you know, that's in the Old Testament. If we go to the New Testament, Jesus Christ walked on this earth. And we know if we're Christians that he was perfect, right? And we strive to be like him. And in his perfection, he expressed every emotion that we feel. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. The shortest book in the Bible is Jesus wept. He cried over grief. Like people like, oh, he in a better place. Don't cry. Jesus cried. Right. (laughs) But when, you know, for grief, Jesus also got angry. Right. Right. He flipped those tables over. He got angry and actually acted on it. He flipped tables over. So, if we look at the whole Bible, it gives us, I don't, I, dare I say permission, but it also validates our humanness. God gave us every feeling that we have. Mm-hmm. And he also has endowed some of us to be blessed with the talent of helping folks to manage those emotions sure. and know how to do it in a way that's healthy. So, you know, I, my whole thing is if we don't talk to Bible, we need to talk to whole Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like it. I like it. That's a great answer. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, so in terms of relationships, um, Oh boy, come on. You want to start, <laughs> but, th- but th- let me just set the tone just a little bit more in relationships. 
it's, you know, some people do premarital counseling. Some people do post-counseling because it's necessary. Some people spend years in therapy. I'm probably D, all of the above. Okay? Uh-huh. I had counseling before, during, after. <laughs> so you have no problem making it to the couch and bringing a partner with you. I, You know, none whatsoever. In fact, all of my kids have entered. We've had family counseling. So I am a big big believer in counseling and how many things have come out in counseling that I would have never known, never understood. And there, and as a mom, you often think, I thought I knew my child more than this. Or I, or, you know, as my expert and I were going through a divorce, he put something on the table once that I was like, I've been married to you for 25 years. You've never told me that. Right. Never Mm -hmm. knew this bit of information. So how important is it? to have premarital counseling? What I would say is that it is imperative that couples go to premarital counseling before they get married. I would say it's imperative because if you think about almost everything that you want to accomplish, in some way, you have to prepare yourself for that. Sure. Even when you went to go take the driving test, you had to get the little book because nobody knows how far you're supposed to stay from the train tracks. Is it 50 feet? Is it 25 yards? We don't know, right? So you get the little book and you flip through it. So you do some kind of investigative research before you basically do almost anything. And unless you do that when it comes to relationships, what you're doing is you're going into the relationship unconscious, repeating, right? Doing the things that you saw Absolutely. When you were growing up. Absolutely. And some of those things are healthy and some of those things are not. But when you're unconsciously moving, you you treat both the healthy and the unhealthy as though they're things that should just be. Oh, that's really important. Wow. Yeah. What you think about that, Kamal? Um, she's speaking to most of my 20 through 25 relationships, <laughs> you know, just um, moving unconsciously. I mean, obviously, I wasn't. Or I won't say obviously, but in those particular situations, I wasn't looking to become married. But there definitely could have been more pre-relationship um, intermingling, counseling, you should say. More speaking about like uh, getting to know each other and our likes and dislikes mm-hmm. and how we like to move, how we like uh, to express our love for one another. Mm-hmm. So I can look back on my relationships and definitely say that uh pre-relationship counseling or some type of discourse before the relationship begins Mm -hmm. would have definitely been insightful. See, that's what I love about Dr. Erica's uh, books. She uh, makes them workbooks because she says there's work in the workbooks, right? And and it's going to require work. And, you know, it's it's interesting. So many relationships are ending in divorce today and it's troubling. And, you know, when I I was (laughs) just met a young woman and she sent a question to you too, knowing that I was going to do the show today. And she's been dating someone for five years and she's been engaged for two years, but she's really struggling with making that final commitment. Not because he's not a nice guy. He's a great guy, according to her. And she loves him, but the intimacy is missing. And she's not just talking about sex. She's talking about intimacy in general, right? And so I said to her, please do some premarital counseling. Go to sex therapy. Do whatever you do. But before you say I do, know what you're really getting into. So it's uh, a lot. Most de- Yeah, most definitely. And if you have those misgivings before the wedding, 
uh, I can tell you right now, nine times out of 10, I never say anything. Nothing is impossible, but the possible, the, the possibility of it actually happening, uh, is slim to none that it's going to get better. It's only going to get better with work. So if you have, you know, when you get, I always tell people when you get married, you have to look at that person and you say, if you never change, I can live with you just the way that you are. Mm -hmm. And if you mm. can't say that, then it's only going to get worse after you get married. Everything that you're experiencing is going to intensify after you get married. And so if, if they're lack, right, if they're lacking intimacy now, it's going to be intensified or magnified after they get married. Well, that's kind of what I said. And then I, then I sucked it up because I was like, oh, you know, I don't want to disparage her, you know, and I don't want it to be um, from my vantage point. But that was really troubling to me hearing that. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I when, when I hear that, because um, I have friends that have experienced that, I've experienced that before. And I experienced what specifically? This particular situation where you're attracted to somebody, you find them um, possible to be that person, but there may be certain things, not necessarily sex or intimacy. But in this particular case, I have had friends who've expressed that to me, um, where it's difficult to reconcile whether or not this is something you want to move forward with, because... Mm -hmm. um, taking her or taking them rather at the least that they could give additionally in this, in this uh, particular department um, may, may have to be a self-sacrifice on your end. You may have to forego that intimacy that you might like or enjoy or that. Ooh, what does and, the and, doctor and, say and about for, that? And for me, <laughs> for me, I don't want to forego that. So <laughs> I just struggle trying to get uh, my partner. If I'm dealing with that at that time to, uh, to try to grow with me through in that communication, way. through communication. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I make it a point to, and I've enforced this to my friends, like make it a point to, you know, um, express that not necessarily that you're dissatisfied, but you feel that there's some room to grow in this area. See, uh, doctor, doctor, Kamal's <laughs> a really good communicator, but most men and even women, do you find are not really good communicators uh, about what they, they want they and need? Uh, you know what? Interestingly, what I'll say is uh, many folks are not a good are not good communicators. Uh, and that's both ways. Right. Communication mm -hmm. is both. You need to deliver a message and also receive a message back. Mm -hmm. So they're not only they're not only not good at delivering the message, but they're also not good hearers. Mm. Right. And they blame their partner. But one thing that I, I did want to go back to one thing that Kamal said, which which was, you know, they want to forgo that thing, such as intimacy. There are certain things that you can forgo in a long term committed relationship. Intimacy, sexual and intimacy encompasses more acts than just sex. Right. So it's the deeper connection. There's intellectual intimacy, emotional intimacy. I have a book coming out about that, too, but I will talk about that. But so there's a lot. But a marriage without intimacy slash passion is just a friendship mm -hmm. with a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. It's just a friendship with a piece of paper attached. I've, I've had that thought before uh, with the particular relationship that I was dealing with where I, uh, I fancy myself a bit of a passionate guy when it comes to my partner. And at one point I thought to myself, well, I know that they like me. They say they like me. They say they care about me, but I'm used to a little bit more of a spark and passion from their side. So 
maybe I could just be their friend because that's what it feels like sometimes because I don't, I, I think I'm not receiving that love or that uh, attraction, not even necessarily sexually, but just intimacy in a way that mm-hmm. I've grown accustomed to, a way that I like. So, well, see, I know to, you a little bit. And yeah. so I know you like intellect. I know you like yes. humor. Yeah. I know you like, you know, certain things make you feel good and right. tr- get you supercharged about right. people that you right. might see. Uh-huh. We've got to know each other over the last year <laughs> right. and a half. <laughs> right. But I also, I also like, I also like, you know, I'm still a, uh, a heteronormative man. So mm-hmm. sometimes I like you to show me a little something, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, a little bit more progressive in what I would like my partner to do. So I'm not really tripping if guys are looking at you more outside, because to me, that's, that's a compliment to me. Um, but I know that I've dated someone in the past who was much more conservative. Um, and it's difficult for me to keep that spark or that, that passion when I see someone who in my eyes is dressed kind of like a librarian, you know, <laughs> what's wrong with a librarian? I, there's sexy librarians. There are you know, sexy librarians. That are, you know, in, have, in, don't have intimacy issues. But right. okay, I get you. I, get I think you. it's the compatibility. Now, let thing. me also say, Doc. You know, Kamala's 28. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm over 50, and uh, I think it does change even as you grow older. Do you find that when you see some of your clients and you talk to groups and you do groups all the time and couples, what? What someone wants at 28 is com- might be completely different than what someone wants at 58. Uh, yes, and that's true in some departments. But what I would say is the need to be uh, or the desire to be physically attracted to your partner does not change. Mm-hmm. Generally, so wanting to see your partner you know, and, 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 you know, with, with their goods, like, you know, and a lot of, it doesn't change. And so often we get on men, men are visual, men are visual. Let me tell you something. (laughs) I don't know very many women who see what they might think, what they might think, because beauty is invited holder is the most unattractive man in the the room. And they run after him. (laughs) Women are visual too. Right. It's very few. We're, women we're that visual. Would be, and whatever that whatever is attracted to us. Right. What'd you say? Come on. I was saying is very few women are men that would look at somebody and say, I bet they have a great personality. I'd love <laughs> to get to know them. You know, in a perfect world, this would be OK. But, you know, I think that it, we all are drawn in by a level of physical attraction or mystique with somebody. Exactly. Exactly. And that doesn't change. Now, we might. We might expand, we might expand what what our continuum of attractiveness as right. we get older, it, it, right? Exactly. It might not be so right, refined, but no, we still want to look at them and be cute and then build everything else on top of and they have good conversation. You know? Okay, you're right, you're right. I would agree. I mean, you know, sometimes I just think I have a young spirit. <laughs> And so I still care about a lot of stuff. So, you know, as this old single woman, but, you know, there are things that are still super important to me. And you know what, when we come forward, we're going to talk more about it. We're going to find out what's the key, what's the, you know, what's the key to happiness and how do you choose the right partner? Because it's really all in choosing the right partner, right? All right. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. When we come forward, this is living in the sweet spot. 
All right, if you're just joining me and today, Kamal, if you're joining us right here in the sweet spot, we have Dr. Erica Holmes, and we are talking about dating and relationships and communication and intimacy and We're just chopping it up a bit here. Uh, We got a couple of generations uh, represented here on the line. (laughs) Kamal is in his 20s. I'm in my 50s. And there we go. So, Kamal, you're next. You're on deck. Okay. Okay. My last question of the the session, because I feel like I'm just hijacking the session. I feel like I I I need to get you an appointment with Dr. Holmes. Right. right. I got to pay for this. Like, now it feels like I'm robbing it a little bit. But my question is for myself in the effort to be self-reflective is um, how does one act with more compassion in a relationship, especially for those who tend to fancy themselves the logical types? So uh, you you call it the logical type. What we say in psychology is you have a tendency, not you. The proverbial you. No, you can you can so, include me. You can include me. It's okay, transparency okay. is fine. So, Kamal, that, <laughs> so what you're saying is actually you have a tendency to intellectualize. So you're thinking with your brain instead of feeling with your heart. Mm. So you can learn to be more compassionate, um, and it all starts with the desire. So the fact that you're asked, the fact that you've asked the question, lends itself to. You have a desire to lead more with your heart in those times when it is necessary. So one of the first things that you can do in order to help build that compassion muscle is to begin to listen without judgment. So if someone shares their heart with you and if the first thing that pops in your head is that doesn't make sense, then that means that you're listening with judgment. Mm -hmm versus suspending judgment and just hearing what your partner is trying to say. Mm. I mean, that, and that, that makes sense that, to me. Yeah. And validating and then validating what you've heard them say. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> because oftentimes my first response is when they're done stating, it feels like I'm, and it's not fair uh, and it's something I would like to work on, but sometimes I'll be listening to respond. Once I yeah. get the information, I've deduced it in my head. When they're done with it, I'm like, okay, well, this is this. Right. And that's not necessarily compassionate was what you're saying. That is, uh, that is intellectualizing it's, it, taking it into a it's, different it's, lane. That, that's not compassionate. Not You said necessarily that's not necessarily <laughs> compassionate. No, it's not compassionate. No, give it to me. That's right. not right. compassionate, right. That's not come on. <laughs> No, I, I hear you. I receive all of that. Thank you so much. And, you know, active listening is just super important. And in, in what does active listening look like and sound like and feel like? And, you know, it seemed, I remember early in counseling, I, I remember with my kids and my family, okay, let me hear what, you, let me, you know, someone say something. And then it's what I hear you saying is X, Y, and Z. And it used to feel so primary, right? So silly. But then half the time, no, that's not what I said at all. What I said was, and it could be two or three words that were a distinction, but it meant the world to that person. So you're talking about what is communication, right? It has to be a, a sender and a receiver. And is it effective? It's only effective if, if I know exactly what is really intended. Exactly. If the message is received is when it's you know uh, uh, effective. And if you're listening to respond, then you're not listening to understand. And that, that's felt by the sender and it's also 
demonstrated by the receiver because you're talking back and oftentimes you're responding to what you think you heard, not actually what was said. So even if, and that's why it's so important to mirror back as you just kind of demonstrated, Angelique, what I heard you say for confirmation mm -hmm. to make sure, is that what you said? Is that what you, did I hear you correctly? Mm -hmm. And then just being able to say, you know, I hear that that hurt you or mm -hmm. I hear that you're sad. Like that's all you have to mirror back. And sometimes, especially if it's like those painful emotions somebody is, is sharing, sometimes you don't have to say anything. Sometimes you're just going for a hug. Mm. That's what I wanted to bring up this whole uh, nonverbal communication and how loudly nonverbal communication speaks sometimes, right? We, um, I've done some work and certified in some drama therapy. I think I mentioned that to you before. And, and there's so much work that happens nonverbally. And that is what I'm also amazed by. I think um, many times in some of my past relationships, I may know the right things to say. <laughs> I'm a pretty good, you know, I, 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 I'm a quick study. I know what I should say and, you know, what sounds correct. But what I don't always do is understand what my nonverbal communication is sending. Right. Right. And, and, that, and honestly, nonverbal communication speaks much louder than what you say verbally like what your body demonstrates how your head moves to the side what you know the facial expression that speaks much more loud than what comes out of your mouth so when you talk about dating with a purpose um we talked about it before when you're on my show but just give me the quick just the quick uh cheat sheet from the dating with purpose uh book so dating with purpose again it's a workbook and i do a workbook because there's not a one size fits all. There's no formula to this dating thing that can apply to everyone. There are questions that I've posed that you can answer for yourself. So really dating with purpose is narrowing down, beginning with what is your purpose? Some people are not dating to get married anymore. Some people are just dating to have companionship. So you have to know and whatever your purpose in dating is, that should then guide your behavior. If I'm dating to have fun and just to have somebody to travel with and a companion, the qualities that I'm looking for might be different than if I'm dating to get married and have a long-term partner living in my house. Like if, if we're just companions and we're traveling, I don't care how much money you make or what you do with it. Like, can you buy these plane tickets? Because we get ready to go. That's the only question that I have. And do we have fun? Mm -hmm. If we're dating for long term and potentially to get married, then what I'm looking for in a lifelong partner is very different. And so it's really important. So it's starting dating with purpose takes you from starting with identifying your the reason that you're dating looking at your own dating behaviors and how they've impacted the relationships that you've had in the past. That's good. How are you going to, right? Mm -hmm. How are you going to change it and mm -hmm. then get out there and date? Hmm. Well, I had the pleasure of coming to one of your seminars at, uh, at, at the church where you belong to. And uh, Pastor Omer was uh, co-facilitating that. <laughs> and it was wonderful. And it was funny. I was invited. In fact, that's when you and I met, I was invited by a friend yeah. and, um, I really came just to meet you. And so I'm sitting in this church and it's 550 single people looking to get some tips on, you know, how to date with purpose. And I really, <laughs> I wasn't really trying to come for that. I was just coming to meet you and right. I'm sitting in there and then I'm sitting next to, you know, someone who I think is pretty amazing and, you know, a friend of yours as well. And 
I told him, I may not get out of here alive. Because <laughs> all the women were looking like, well, who's she? <laughs> I'm like, I, 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 I'm just here for a quick visit. <laughs> So it's really serious out here, y'all. And one of the things that came across is sometimes being willing to date out of your race. You know, that's a real big thing in our black community. You know, it's one thing when black men date outside of their race and it feels a little different when black women date outside of the race. So, you know, we're pretty loyal. We're so loyal. These women, black women, we're loyal to black men on so many levels. How does that work culturally? I think uh, we were talking about culture distinctions and how even if you are, if you're Jamaican and you grew up in the South, you, you, it might be a totally different culture. And so um, culture matters, doesn't it? Culture very much matters, very much so matters. And I also want to say this, we have to dispel the myth of dating outside of our race in the black community. That's a myth and it's a conversation that we have that's been a narrative that's really been uh, exaggerated in our community. The U.S. Census shows that less than 15 percent of black people, male or female, marry outside of our race. We still marry black folks you know the mm-hmm, majority of the mm-hmm, time so mm-hmm. but <laughs> even what you're talking about is intra group cultural differences so we're black but we're african american or we're afro caribbean or mm-hmm. we are african from the continent and mm-hmm. so culturally we're very different and that comes into our our relationships and oftentimes we don't think about that because we're like, oh, but we're all black. We're black in our skin color. Mm-hmm. But uh, how we move through the world or how we've been taught the world works is very different. And that can show up in our relationships. Ooh, it shows up for sure. OK, we're going to keep talking when we come forward. All in the sweet spot. OK, we've got Dr. Erica Holmes here and uh, she's trying to get uh, Kamal and me straight, but. She needs more work on Kamal. So <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So we were just talking on the break about um, this whole idea of when you think you can change your partner. You know, if I could just love them. And I did that. I was guilty in my marriage, you know, thinking, you know, the, these are red flags early on. This is not good. Red flags early on. This is not good. And if I could just love him harder love him more. He'll be more secure. He won't be as jealous. He won't be, you know, as, you know, triggered. If I could just do more, I can change him and the way he feels. Does not work. Does it? Never has, never will. (laughs) Never has, never will. Um, And sadly, so many folks get into relationships uh, with that idea of changing folks. Again, uh, It's great if people continue to grow as they get older and they mature and as a result of the relationship. And that's great, but you can't get married to change someone. You have to say, if you stay the way that you are and who you are from this day forward, I can live with it. I love you. That's where you have to go. That's how you have to approach it. A desire to change and motivation to change starts from within, not from without. And so folks have to have that internal motivation or spark in order to become something different if they desire. But if they, if you are going to a relationship with the idea of changing your partner, you're actually 
creating an environment where change most definitely won't occur. No. Because you're creating a person, right? You're it, because the person then is insecure. And if you can't love me as I am, then I don't even have the security in the relationship to try to be something different or to try something new. That only occurs with insecurity. Right. The only change that's going to happen is you're going to change the little bit of love affair that you already got going on, right? <laughs> that's what's going to change. Exactly. Because you're never going to trust exactly. that person and feel vulnerable and safe, right? You're going to change exactly. from the bedroom to the exactly. couch. You're going to be on the couch. <laughs> change, yeah, maybe you have to change rooms. Yeah, you got to change rooms. <laughs> well, exactly. I, I have another question. Um, uh-huh. It's interesting. I, I think dating with a purpose, and you talked about, are you dating for companionship or are you dating to be married and to find a long-term or lifelong partner? You know, divorce rate is so high, so people don't date for longevity anymore. You know, I think they date for lots of different reasons. Um, I almost wish that you didn't have the pressure of it having to be for a lifetime. Because Mm. I think Mm -hmm. it would change Mm. the way people work in a marriage. Because if you Mm -hmm. thought, you know, if you thought, okay, this is about to expire in 10 years, (laughs) I got to get myself together so I can keep, you know, stay in this relationship and keep building. When people feel like they don't have to work on it or they don't have, you know, you're stuck with me or this is it. That's kind of, um, it's kind of sad to me where marriage has become. Right. But I think part of it is that marriage has become that way because people are going into marriage without the tools or the mindset to have longevity. Absolutely. And so people are not dating oftentimes for longevity because now they don't believe it exists. Mm -hmm. And if it, if you don't believe that it exists, then for you, it doesn't. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. See, and I want someone to be in a relationship with me for a lifetime because they choose to be, as opposed mm-hmm. because that piece of paper says you must be. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so if I could rewrite, if-, if I could rewrite marriage, I would be like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, every twenty years, we're gonna go back and we're gonna renegotiate. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna uh, one up one more time, one more twenty. You want to do another twenty? Yeah, let's do another twenty. One another twenty. So like a basketball another- player, like a contract <laughs> renewal. Like if you're gonna, like if you had a good season, we want to up. Yeah, yeah okay. you know, sometimes you got to sit on the bench, but whatever. I don't, I, you know, do I sound like I don't believe in marriage anymore? Uh, I wouldn't say you don't sound like you don't believe in marriage anymore, but I think that you're using, you know, the experiences that you had in marriage to really think about how would I do this differently, which yes. I think is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And there are some people like we encourage that every year around your anniversary, that one of your anniversary uh, activities is that you do sit down and recommit to the marriage and Ooh. talk about what are what are going to be our goals to make this marriage better for the next 12 months. I love that. See, that's, there is. That. that's the solution. That's the solution. When we come forward, we're going to keep finding more solutions along this way, all in the sweet spot. So, gosh, you know, this whole anniversary thing, Dr. Holmes, you know, what should anniversaries really look like? <laughs> they look like the candlelight and, oh, you know, you get to massage my feet and kiss my toes and all that. Is it that or do you have another idea of what anniversaries should look like? 
Well, I'm going to say it's both ends. We don't want to get rid of that. I do like right. foot massage. <laughs> I don't want to get rid yeah, of it. Exactly. <laughs> and the candlelight and all of that. So we want both ends, but we want to think about anniversaries with a purpose. I think anniversaries are a great time to do a relationship check-in. So have an anniversary with a purpose. So over that candlelight dinner, check in with your partner. What worked well with us this year from your perspective, from your partner's perspective? And let's make a relationship goal. Is it that we want to build more emotional intimacy or more physical intimacy or more sexual intimacy or more financial intimacy? So what is our goal? And then make tangible steps to get that or to make sure it's there. So, you know, that we're going to put our, put each other on our calendar. We're going to make our date night or whatever sacred. So create a plan and do that every year, like, and recommit as you mentioned. And it's like, are we committing to this another year? We're going to try this another 12 months and we're going to make it better. Do that every I year. Love that. I love that. I really do. Because, mm -hmm. you know, your book, when I read uh, Dating with Purpose, and I did read it, <laughs> enjoyed it and learned a lot. I am starting to think about it and with a with a plan, you know, and I appreciate yeah. the way you uh, mm -hmm. break that down. I know that you and your husband were on black love. Uh, I, I know that I was that experience. And what what did you what did you come away with black love learning and um, bringing forward? Right. So uh, it was such a great experience. It was such a great experience to sit with my husband and kind of talk about our relationship and, and, and answer questions that we hadn't actually talked about before. And so that was great. Um, and one of the things that I kind of took away with took away from it that came up for me organically was this idea of marriage being hard. Right. That was a question. And I was like, marriage is hard. But what I think about is not hard, it's effort. Hard meaning effort, not hard meaning digging ditches, right? That you have to put effort into it every day, that the work is effort, that I'm, I'm, I make effort to be available to him and him to me every day and, and committed, that it takes effort. And that if it is hard, like digging ditches, like I don't ever, I don't want to be here, then you know you're in trouble and you need some help, mm -hmm. like immediately. Mm -hmm. That's when you need to seek immediate outside help. But I wouldn't say that my marriage, and this is my second marriage and his second marriage as well. And um, I wouldn't say that it's hard, but it is effort. And sometimes I'm tired, but <laughs> you know, I put in that. <laughs> but I see, you know, I, I met your husband and I love that you two came yes. on together and, and I appreciate the work that you do f with each other for each other. So you've got two books right now that people can access. One is the new one is called Before the Broom, a premarital workbook for the dating, engaged and newly married African-American couple. And the other one was Dating with a Purpose. So how do they find these books quickly? So the books can be found on Amazon. So you can Google either one of them on Amazon. You can also find me on my website, which is Doc Erica, D-O-C-E-R-I-C-A.com. So DocErica.com and there are links to the book there. Doc Erica, thank you so much. What do you, I, I know you got notes, right? Come on. Oh, I, I, have, I have my notes ready. I have my <laughs> notes ready. I got to go take a long look at myself. 
<laughs> you and me both. It's all good. Thank you for being here, Dr. E. We appreciate you. Um, if you haven't already, please download the KBLA app uh, where we, you know, you can hear about us being unapologetically black and progressive always. Um, you can also find Living in the Sweet Spot with Angelique Francis on Spotify if you want to uh, check out some past shows. it's uh, I've had some amazing guests on. And so check it out. The first season is there. Girl. Follow me on Instagram, Angelique Francis in the Sweet Spot on Instagram for upcoming shows. Thank you for joining me. This is Angelique and it's all in the sweet spot.